You're listening to TFM. Want to join in the conversation and share your thoughts on this episode? Join the Babel Conference, our listeners' discussion group on Facebook. Just type B-A-B-E-L into the Facebook search field, and we'll look forward to seeing you there. I'm here to talk to you about an initiative that may one day lead to something having to do with the Avengers. And with me, as he is every single time, John Mills. Indeed I am. And I think I'm in this reality. Maybe I'm in another reality. Who knows? Reality is reality. We'll see. (laughs) This episode, we are going to be diving into another Disney Plus show called Miss Marvel. But before we do that, just to want to say thank you for listening. Of course, subscribe wherever you're getting your podcasts. And, of course, you can find us on social media at The 602 Club or on Instagram at The 602 Club TFM. Find us online at Trek.fm. We've got Facebook at Facebook.com slash Trek.fm. The website, Trek.fm, where you can find all of the shows that we're doing. And, of course, you can support us on Patreon at Patreon.com slash Trek. FM. So, John, I'm very interested uh, to hear uh, about this from you because I know that you're much more familiar with Marvel Comics than I am. And so kind of going into this, were you familiar at all with Miss Marvel? Had you read any of the comics? Did you know anything about the character kind of coming into this show? Well, I... It's always important to qualify that when I was reading Marvel Comics was was a, a time and a half ago. I, uh, I I'm an old school, you know, make mine Marvel, which is not to say that I have eschewed Marvel Comics for any other reason than I just don't have the time really to read comic books too much anymore. Yeah. <laughs> and but I was very aware of Miss Marvel. I the I know that the character was well received in the comic book world. I know that it was a well written concept. And I know that um, a lot of people enjoyed it. Uh, it seemed to have a fair amount of, um, you know, cachet with it, which is so it made sense that they were going to make a show out of it, especially with the MCU and everything. It's like, well, this is a character sort of uh, this will sound reductionist and I don't mean it to be, but Miss Marvel fits the 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 changing perspective of the comics industry, I guess you could say the, you know, Miles Morales is a character like that where, you know, there was a recognition that, you know, maybe it was time to bring a little, you know, sort of a fresh approach to some of the characters and new characters. And so Miss Marvel made a lot of sense in a lot of ways because it wasn't rebooting an old character. It wasn't, undoing a continuity it was here's a new character that's got a modern spin on things like the Mm -hmm. the character belongs to this time in history and so you know again it just it made sense they would make a series out of it yeah no no i that makes uh, i think that's a really good explanation for it and you know coming into this definitely not something that i was really familiar with at all other than just the name itself you know i knew that um but 
uh, you know, not reading a lot of Marvel comics. This this wasn't something that, uh, you know, I had really any familiarity with going in, which, as I've said many a times, I find sometimes pretty helpful with the MCU because I don't have tons of expectations because I've read a lot of the comics or anything. So, you know, what they present me uh, on a show or in a movie is the thing that it's like you just you have to do what you need to do in the show to win me over. Uh, and so with that said, I'm actually very interested just to, to hear your thoughts then and to talk with you about uh, how they introduce this character into the MCU and, and how you think they do with a character that, you know, we might not be the only ones who aren't as familiar with this character. And this show is, is it's, its role is to introduce us to this character and get us to hopefully want to see more of this character. Or, or at least an MCU version of the character. There are always going to be changes and adaptations and stuff like that, which is fine. It makes sense. Um, you know, it's, it's weird because again, I I didn't read the the comic run. So I, I don't know if this is true to the comic or not offhand. I, I had it, in my brain at some point, but you know, lost the time sort of thing. But I think this is an odd inflection moment for the MCU. And I think all throughout phase four, it's apparent they've been wrestling with it and it's a sense of self-awareness about it. And there seems to be, and I I don't think Miss Marvel crosses any lines, but there's very much sort of a wink and a nod in terms of how the characters are interacting where it's a little too wink and a nod sort of thing where it's, oh, she's a fan of the Avengers. Like I'm a fan of the Avengers on a meta level. And so it works on a meta and it's like, it, it, it's not straightforward enough for my liking. Um, and it's interesting because I, I think we have two series that we can do just a one-to-one at it where you have Hawkeye, which is dealing with sort of a PTSD perspective of somebody who is an Avenger processing everything that's happened to him up to that point. And we see sort of the ludicrous embrace of the Avengers. If they, It's almost like a, um, a, a lighter version of looking at uh, Watchmen where it's this postmodern, what if superheroes were real take on everything? What would our reaction to them be? Mm-hmm. Well, and of course in that, she, you know, he also comes up against a, a mega fan. Right. And it's, you know, it's, it, it's just one of those things where I just think it's odd because Marvel just has become in this phase so aware of itself and processing its own feelings about itself. It, it's this weird thing where I'm not quite sure what they're trying to deal with outside of their own popularity. You know, this is going to be a terrible comparison, but even though, for instance, I love the album Tunnel of Love by Bruce Springsteen. It's his first album post Born in the USA when he was, you know, Born in the USA made him super huge culturally and Tunnel of Love came out and it's another hit and that's a strong album and then you get to Human Touch and Lucky Town. And it's at that moment that, that Springsteen goes down this odd road where it's still good, 
but he's a little too self-aware. He's second. Mm-hmm. He's not second guessing himself, but he's he's too self-aware of his own popularity at that point. And so he's trying to make sure he hits necessary things. It's it's right. a dangerous thing for a franchise to go into, I think. Yeah. No, I mean, I I definitely hear what you're saying because, you know, one of the things that I kind of wrote down as I was rewatching the show was the whole idea of dealing with fan culture yeah. in, in the series. And, you know, like you said, of course, with them being fans of the Avengers, you know, uh, another thing just, again, is a, a comparison where we're introducing a new character to everybody in Hawkeye with Kate Bishop, you know, they have the meta moment of the Rogers musical happening, which, you know, you and I were like, "Eh, it's, it's fine. You know, uh, it's not my favorite thing, but I feel like this is kind of taking that moment and one upping it, you know, by, by turning the Avengers into this thing that people are now having a convention about, you know, even though they're, real people i mean none of the conventions that we have as fans are about real people you know right it's all about make-believe and and so i i think the thing that like you said here there is such a meta nature to that and i don't I think I agree with you in that sense. Like, that's the one thing I think about the show that doesn't work very well, you know, um, because I I don't I think they handle it in a way that makes it too. um, It's not a joke, but it just doesn't feel right when you think about the weight of these people and their lives and what they've done for the world and the universe at large and. You know, obviously people would be fans of them, you know, but to like have a convention about them and everything, I don't, it just feels like, uh, I don't know, is kitschy the right word, you think? I'll, maybe, I'll just go go ahead and say bizarre because you're absolutely right. It, It would be like having a convention for... I don't know, like pull, you know, like anything I say would be controversial, but like people in the news, you don't have conventions for them because they're in the news. Like they're, you're aware of them. There's not like, you know, I, I mean, I guess a Taylor Swift convention is just the eras tour, but that's <laughs> yeah. not a convention, you know? I mean, she's throwing her own convention about herself. Yes. So, and making billions of dollars for it so um, god bless her yeah genius move uh but no i i think i i do think that there's something uh to what you're saying there and i can completely see it and i, I do think that it's one of those things where you know I, I, because I, the tone of this show reminded me very much of spider-man homecoming it had a mm, very similar yeah. vibe to it and I think yes. that for the most part, that that tone works perfectly for this show, right? Because Peter Parker, like uh, Kamala Khan, is a teenager, right? And she's dealing with teenage problems. You know, she's in high school. 
all of these type of things. And and yet I think the added layer of kind of giving us this over meta read of creating a convention out of the the Avengers actually takes what I think was the perfect tone. And, and in some places, especially in that first episode, it just kind of moves it into this kind of weird place where it's like it it almost pull. I think what it does is it pulls you out of the story because yes. it doesn't feel real and right to be having a convention for these people. I mean, there's even that thing where they, you know, have the wall to uh, Natasha and Tony, you know, and people are writing on the wall. Thank you for your sacrifice. That doesn't feel right. It just feels weird. And like, I don't know, almost kind of icky. Uh, well, when you get down to it, too, somebody's got to be throwing the convention. What ghoul is throwing yeah. this convention? I don't know. Yeah. And and yeah. It, so but but on the other side, um, I think outside of that, I think the rest of the tone of this show by leaning into that kind of homecoming vibe was actually the right vibe because and I would mm -hmm. say for the what's great about the show is the tone is actually very consistent throughout most of it. Um, you know, it knows when to be serious. It knows when to be funny. Um, and, and that's one of the things mm -hmm. I've actually really uh, rewatching the show is I'm like, very impressed that this show could be as consistent as it is, which has kind of been an issue that we've had with a lot of phase four so far, where it just feels like things are wildly up and down. Whereas this show True. knows exactly what it is. I feel like what it wants to be. And finds a way to be that almost every single episode, except for some, you know, minor variations that we talked about. Yeah. yeah I, I think I think you're right about that, that the, the tone is consistent. The, this, at the very least, does not have the wild swings of. Uh, you know, I'll, I'll throw it under the bus right now. WandaVision. Where I'm like, what right. exactly right. am I supposed to be feeling right now? What what am I doing? This is a clever concept, but this doesn't feel like a clever concept just for the sake of a clever concept. It feels like it's trying to tell a story and, and a story that has some meaning to it. And I think that what's really interesting about it as well, because this is my first time watching it, obviously, is obviously it's tricky to approach a series in the modern era trying to tell the story of somebody who is, you know, the, the, you know, the, the first generation, you know, to, you know, American born, you know, to an immigrant family sort of thing. Um, and what I find, what I found interesting about it, cause you know, as I'm looking at it and trying to like break it down, I'm like, well, this is odd because I don't know this culture as well and everything is, and, and, stay with me here is we've had stories like this told in, you know, filmed media, but never as a series like this per se, more as larger scale explorations. Uh, you know, I'm not saying that this is on the same level of art artistry or craft, but like Godfather part two is the tale of what happens to that first generation how much of the traditions yes. do they keep? Yeah. 
how much do they adapt and what happens to them in the new environment that they have to live in and how do people treat them and how are they approached? I mean, you know, I know it's going to sound crazy to some people, but in terms of looking at how Kamala and her family have to interact and or deal with presumptions about them. Like, isn't that different to me tonally than when Senator Geary is talking to Michael Corleone in Godfather part two, because in that he has a very clear disdain for these Italian immigrants who came over. He calls them greasy. He like all of that sort of stuff. These slurs he throws at Michael and Michael's not a good person in Godfather part two, mind you, but it's a similar sort of thing where it's like this story, you know, repeats itself in time. I thought it was interesting. And it, you know, that in and of itself makes it a worthwhile series to create because I think it reminds people that people are still going through this. We're a nation of immigrants and people are still figuring out what that means when they come over here and how are they going to adapt and integrate And how much are they going to adapt and integrate? How much of their old selves can they keep and still function in a society that demands certain things? So I think that's interesting. And I think that, you know, the way that she approaches it is interesting. And so, you know, I I don't know. I'm not trying to get overly philosophical about it. But I I think that gives the show a a decent Mm -hmm. purpose. Yeah. You know, I'm I'm really glad that you brought that up because I do think that that's one of the things that the show does so well and I think so respectfully, uh, you know, to the culture that they're trying to explore. Uh, and at the same time, I think, you know, like you said, showing that struggle, you know, you, you have these parents who wanted to come to America to give their kids a better life, you know, and like you said, at the same time, you're also dealing with the questions of, you know, um, what, what do we want to keep from where we came from, you know? And, you know, this is also, I think the only place really in the MCU, um, because of course the daredevil series that we saw is not, I don't think considered canon really or or if it is, it's just in another universe version. Uh, and so, uh, you know, I, we haven't really you know, delved into any character here that has any kind of faith, right? And so them dealing with that as well in this series is very interesting and yeah. trying to explore what that means in, in the MCU. And so I, I think I'm, you know, I'm right there with you. I think this show uh, does a very good job of discussing these issues to, to just portray these issues Um you know, on top of that, I, I wanted to ask you, you know, I think this show makes a great use of history uh, in, you know, what happens in India and the creation of Pakistan, the the trauma that mm-hmm. causes for families as, you know, um, Muslims try to escape to uh, Pakistan because they're being severely persecuted in India and, you know, the British government basically forcing people to to do this, you know, because they're drawing arbitrary lines on a map that they didn't uh, create, you know. So, like, to me, yeah. that was also a very powerful story because, you know, the entire Middle East is kind of a mess because people came in and started drawing lines on a map that 
they didn't create yeah, the, uh, you know um yeah we, we don't like to get controversial necessarily but the brits didn't really think it through when uh that was happening and um kind of kind of still dealing with the fallout from that have been since since those maps were done um always going to be a really interesting sort of thing and i i agree with you the fact that it's a it's unfortunate that there are so many people that are unaware of that history that these and that these things can have impact through time and so yeah we will continue to deal with it because you know it it happened you can't sit there and act like it didn't. You can't sit there and be like, no, this thing didn't happen. This thing was it, eh, no, it was, it's kind of messed up. We can't undo it now. We just got to figure out the best way to, you know, to go about it. Um, but yeah, you know, I think um, anything that ever makes the effort to uh, to make its historical statement it's it's very tricky to do it right and i i'd say this series does it this series does it right in in the fact that it presents it and it takes the opportunity to educate without being you know um uneven about it yeah no i, I agree. guess you could say you know and i think well as you were you were talking i was thinking that one of the strengths of the show is the way in which they use the past and what happened there in india and the fact that you had this forced segregation instead of people being able to come together right and they they utilize that i think very well for the story in our present time period to show the ways in which we are working to keep that from happening where we live now Right. Um, mm -hmm. We are working towards the, the uh, living in peace and harmony with one another, even though we may have differences. And and I thought that um, that was thematically very well done in the show, uh, because, again, like you said, we can't deny the horrors of, of the past, because if we do, we won't be able to create a better future. And so I think right. this show has a, a really nice juxtaposition in that. Um, and I think, like you said, it does it very well. And because shying away from shying away from these type of things does no good for anyone. Um, but I also just felt like they found a good way to integrate that past and everything into the story about Kamala's family and how, you know, she gets these powers, how she has this bangle, like it created a really interesting origin story for this character because it's not, it wasn't just about her. It's actually about her entire family, which to me, I think was one of the strong suits of this show too, is that it's one of the most family friendly yeah. shows about family that the MCU has ever done, which, you know, I would like to actually see more of this type of stuff that celebrates how important family truly is in our lives. And that's just not something yes. that the MCU has done a ton of. That is a very worthwhile thing to point out. That's a very great observation that the characters we've gotten up to this point seem to be 
born of an egg or they have estranged families like, you know, Tony Stark didn't get along with his dad and, you know, all those sorts of things. And to see a family that functions together and comes from a place of love and support and encouragement, it's like, oh, yeah, there are families like that out there. Yes, I want to see more of this. I want to see the superhero who has a a home life, if you will. Who had like they hint at it with Hawkeye, but Hawkeye, you know, he's away from home, sort of thing. So maybe that's another comparison to draw with the the Hawkeye show. Is the Hawkeye show has a family, but the tension there is that he's away from them doing things and and stuff like that. Whereas here. She's truly spending time with her family. And, you know, like in the last episode, you know, when she has the moment with her family where she, you know, reveals that she's, you know, basically Miss Marvel and everything. There's no shouting or anything. It's actually, you know, lighthearted and fun where it's like, oh, well, mom told dad and dad always has his phone on speaker. So we overheard it. So we already knew that's a cute family moment. That's true and relatable regardless of what culture you come from because i i know for a fact that there are things that i hear because my wife and my in-laws they talk on speakerphone and i'm like well didn't know that now i do you know that sort of thing so um well and i agree as you're saying that i'm also thinking too like this is just so different than so many other the mcu things where it's like they're supportive of her right and just they're I, I just I, oh my gosh I'm having trouble with words because it it's something that you know I what it want is more of you know you know what it is it's that they're a very human family yes thank you I mean that's it's an excellent point because you know they're not shown to be a perfect family you know you 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 show kind of warts and all what it means to be a family the struggles that. Mothers can have with their daughters, the the struggles that fathers can have with their daughters or sons, you know, all of these type of things, right? And yet, what I thought was beautiful, too, is that, and, you know, before my family personally kind of imploded, it was actually the place where other people would come who were having trouble with their families, and they would come to our house, right? And Kamala's house is that, right? Bruno is a part of their family because of her and because they just naturally love to take care of other people. You know, they're that type of family. You know, I, I know this is sort of a rabbit hole, but, you know, you, you just made me think of the fact that the, the friend circle that I ran in for a number of years, um, there was a friend of mine, his parents were Greek and Regardless of what time that his ne'er-do-well friends throughout their late teens and early 20s would show up at that house, we'd amble in at 2 o'clock in the morning. That woman's radar would go off and she'd go into the kitchen and she'd start making us food and drink and everything like that. And we were all like, please, no, no, please, no, go back to bed. We didn't mean to wake you up. We feel so bad right now. She's like, no, 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 sit down, sit down. You need a little something to eat. You're up late. You got to you gotta get your energy up because you got to drive home anyway. Like that, calling out that, that the family, that, that there are blurred lines 
in the family that when people are close enough as friends, they come and go into that world. Um, and there's still that love there. And, and, you know, there were other friends of mine too, where they would come over to my place or I'd go over to their place. And there was always that love and support that would happen. No, I'm, I'm glad you said that. And I think that that's something that this show does a great job of portraying, you know, this, this safe place that this family creates that other people can come in and experience family who don't have family. And, you know, I think what I love about the show is it does a great job of portraying just how important a loving family can be and just how good a kid can turn out if it comes from a loving family like this, right? Yes. Because yes. we've seen the opposite, right? In the MCU, you mentioned Tony Stark. You know, you we've got a Thor's lot of other- family isn't great. Yeah, uh, you know Scott Lang's family not not excellent. You know, uh, and or the Van Dimes. So, like, anyway, I, it's I, I just I love it. I, I think it's really cool. Um, I did want to ask you about you know we learn where Kamala's powers come from, which is this. Mm-hmm. Other dimension that sits next to our dimension, it's basically where the um, idea of jinn come from in mythology. Uh, and mm-hmm. uh, so how did you feel like that worked kind of in allowing us to understand, which I guess I'll say it seems strange to me because like I don't understand how the djinn that we would know of in mythology have anything to do with these characters? Cause they don't seem like genies or djinn. So um, it seemed a little strange. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's a bit of a stretch, and but I think it's, uh, it's got, it's one of those stretches that has noble intent. And I, I'll go ahead and say that it, it's one of those things, it's an impulse that in comic book movies and in other action movies, it, call it the national treasure syndrome, where <laughs> there, there's always, oh, there's a reason that people believe those sorts of things. And the real reason was mm-hmm. that, and it's like, eh, you know, sometimes a cigar is just a cigar. Yeah. But um, at the same time, yeah, it's it's an interesting sort of thing to posit. It's... You know, I always make reference to it. Eric Von Daniken's uh, Chariots of the Gods really warped everybody's brains starting in the 1970s forward. And it remains firmly ensconced. It's it's the same impulse that gets people to make a movie like Stargate, where it's like, aliens built the pyramids. It's like, no, 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 they didn't. It's, you know, people didn't have social media and there was a lot of uh, unfortunate, uh, you know, (laughs) yeah labor was approached differently back then you know so it's like uh um you know it's it's one of those things where i think human imagination wants us to find those sort of like clever explanations for things Mm -hmm. Eh, yeah it comes from a good place so i'm not gonna knock it too hard no I, i i agree with that too you know i think that it's it's kind of fun um, I think the more interesting thing is the stinger on the last episode where we learn that even though she has this in her lineage, there's actually something different about Kamala than her family 
there's mm-hmm. apparently some sort of mutation. Uh, so our first, yeah. I think, uh, inference of mutants in this universe. Uh, and yeah. so how did you feel about that? Because I know you're a huge fan of the X-Men. Yes, I was. X-Men was one of my go-to jams. Wolverine was one of my favorite characters. Cyclops is unfairly, unfairly dispatched way too early in X-Men The Last Stand. But at the same time, eh, you know, a lot of things happened in that movie that were not good. I was about to say, it's The Last Stand, so I don't even remember. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. It's my last choice when I'm putting in an X-Men movie. But the honest thing is that I don't know how to feel about it. It felt like a cheap insertion. I, I'm sorry if anybody disagrees with me on that. It felt like a cheap insertion. And what really felt like a cheap insertion was when it's revealed to her, the score inserts a, uh, a, 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 I don't know what the musical term is, but a sting, a, a, a reference, a use of whatever, of the 1990s cartoon theme for the X-Men. And at that point, I that's probably what makes the the moment feel a little cheap for me. Because it's it doesn't feel organic at that point. It feels like a studio note. Hey, we just bought 20th Century Fox. Now we can talk about the X-Men. We can say mutants. Say mutant in this scene. I, what did it like did it add anything to the story for you? The one thing that I'll say is that the fact that Kamala can use the bangle and everything in the way that she does and nobody else in her family could on her, you know, uh, mother's side uh, seemed interesting. And so I guess to create this specific reason why it's Kamala that has these abilities and powers uh so you know it's not just that she has human genes and nor i think it's nor genes and then it allows her to you know be connected to our universe and everything but that there's something else at play i think to me actually made more sense then because otherwise you know, shouldn't her brother be able to put on the bangle and become Mr. Marvel and, you know, her mom and her grandmother do the same thing? So, I, at the same time, I completely get what you're saying, where, I, because I, I wish that it hadn't been put in a stinger, because I think the stinger itself makes it feel like that. So I think that if it had been in a different place, that that would have made it feel just more important like it actually is, right? Because in in many ways, she just kind of disregards it and turns it into a joke or whatever, and they get in the Porsche and they they leave, right? And so I think that's the thing where it just kind of feels like, "Uh, okay, I see what you're doing here and why, but, you know, I mean, you, you... you could have put a little bit more thought into where to insert this. And maybe, you know, in some ways, like you mentioned, um, it was one of those things where it was a reshoot, right? Or just an, or was an added shoot because the sale had gone through and they were able to add this little note uh, to the end. And so... 
I, I'm completely guessing. I have no idea. I'm just wondering. Yeah, I, I, it didn't. It case. didn't feel like a re. It didn't feel like a reshoot. It feels like something that was added in the script stage, and they did. Yeah, it could they, have been. They too. just had to yeah. sort of thing. The the thing that the mid credit scene where she switches place with Carol Danvers, which is straight out of the new movie. <laughs> yeah, that's one of those things where. I didn't enjoy it because I think it undercut the character. This story is about her. Yeah. And then that mid credits stinger says, oh, but it was really about what's going to impact Captain Marvel. It's like, eh, no, I didn't. Yeah. This doesn't fit. This isn't, I mean, it truly, you know, just becomes a trailer at that point for the next Mm -hmm. movie. And I'm like, if anything, it cheapens the feel of the show because it's like, oh, I was happier when I was just watching the show right. and not thinking of it in terms of how it right. impacts the rest of the bullet point universe that exactly. is the MCU. Well, and I also think to myself too, you know, when this show came out, when this show comes out was last year. The Marvels doesn't come out till this year. Like yeah. as we're recording this, the Marvels comes out in a couple of months, so it's been that long. So it's another one of those places where the the teaser has been there just kind of dangling Chad for so long, um, people probably forgot about it. And so, mm-hmm. um, I, yeah, I, I agree with you in that sense. I, I don't think that that one works very well. Um, we Another tone thing, but it, it, it's really just something we, we pull from you know, Spider-Man Homecoming and the Spider-Man films is the Department of Damage Control. And what did you think about their kind of insertion in the story and having this one agent who's like gung-ho on apparently bringing down, you know, heroes that are getting powers that she doesn't think should have powers? Eh. It's a weak point to the story, in my opinion. It, It didn't add anything... It felt, if anything, it felt like a cheap attempt at uh, comedy in, you know, the, the bungling federal agents trope. I, I didn't need it. I don't think it needed to be there. It's, it just didn't, it didn't do anything for me. It was like, it was just there. And it was like, okay. And they, they even have at one point, I thought it was just a really cheap joke where I think it was in the last episode where the the female lead agent or whatever says, you know, uh, people like this shouldn't have powers. And the guy's like, what do you mean by that? And she's like, teenagers. That's eh, a little too on the nose for certain things. I was like, that's, yeah, eh, you know, uh, that that did just didn't feel that that really underscored for me how these these agents, you, there are certain there are certain lines in this story where I feel like if you excised them, the story wouldn't have suffered. And it feels like this could have been a movie. This is yet another one where it feels like it could have been a movie, but there were certain things inserted to make it last for six episodes. When you really could have told her origin story in about two to two and a half hours. I don't, you know, and it doesn't mean I hate the show or anything, but 
this very much feels like the directive from Disney that we don't want movies. We want content for our streaming service. And that's why this is six episodes instead of a tightly focused on her film that gets her through the hero's journey that we need her to get through the way that Iron Man got through in his first film and Captain America got through in the first Avenger and the Incredible Hulk got through in his first film, even though we don't talk about that because Ed Norton was in it and Thor and everybody gets through in their first film, their hero story. I I, I think this opens up the bigger thing because that specific thing about the, the damage control agents unnecessary they make it work pretty well but it's not necessary to this character's story arc just like the stinger with carol danvers is not necessary to this character's arc and i would have preferred not to have them so that Mm -hmm. we could have kept the focus a little tighter so i i I completely understand what you're saying because my thought process was i feel like if you're going to have them in there they need to be better written but i feel like that whole storyline could be excised and you could still basically have the same storyline you have and find a different way to do it uh that's just slightly different and you know so and it would have worked just the same i also like you feel that this show could at least be five episodes or four episodes then if you excise them uh and you know um because, you know, I, I, again, I think I think Disney Plus has just kind of fallen into that place where they're just not willing to just have the amount of episodes needed for the story that you're telling. Because I, I do think that this this season you could have done about, you know, four uh, episodes, maybe five at most, if, and, and maybe one of them is shorter. But, you know, you don't need six episodes, I didn't feel like. Um, I, I, I do feel like that they do kind of stretch things a little bit too much. Uh, I, it's not as though I disliked watching it or anything like that. I just felt like, you know, the whole thing could have been tightened up. And I don't know well, if I felt like you could do a movie, but I definitely felt like, yeah, this could be four episodes and much tighter as a story. and all the better for it. Well, if you think about it, it's also nonsensical that you have this quasi-evil damage control department or agents from the damage control department going after people when you live in a world where you have a Broadway musical and conventions lauding the Avengers and praising people with superpowers. Mm Mm-hmm. How does this agency make sense in a world where Nick Fury went out and found people with powers and turned them into right. a functional team? That's it's it they're at at opposition with mm-hmm. each other. It well, and it gets back to sort of the same problem that happens in WandaVision. Where it's like, why would these sort of people be functioning in here? We live in a Mm -hmm. world where the whole goal is to recruit people to be on these teams and people praise them and love them. 
like it doesn't make sense why there would be people in organizations or organizations focused on the idea of dissuading, persecuting, or punishing people who exhibit these powers. They would want to recruit them. Mm-hmm. Well, and I think that the one of the biggest problems is is they don't do a good job with that character to explain why she feels like that, right? And and the other agents don't seem to feel like that. You know, there, there has to be, and again, so it's about motivation and all that stuff, and so it just doesn't do a great job of, of really making sense of this story, and it's just under, it's, it's underutilized in the story, which is one of the things where it's like, so you either need to find a way to make this story point make more sense, or you should just take it out um and do something else and so um what did you think about the look and the feel of the show itself you know we've we've kind of had a hard time i think with the a lot of the series so far because they have felt like tv series instead of anything else did you feel like this show was consistent in its look and its effects and everything or did you find yourself you know being pulled out as we have been with some of the other shows it was consistent in its effects, but it wasn't – the the effects shots weren't dynamic. They felt just sort of prepackaged sort of stuff. There there were a couple of inspired moments here and there, I guess. But, you know, I, like a lot of the shots looked like, okay, we need a shot like this. We've done a thousand of these before. Pull – you know, shot 127B from here, and we're going to have the camera pan around this way and have the effect going around a person, and we're going to, that's how we're going to wow the audience. And it just doesn't, it, a lot of the effects shots particularly felt like um, effects shots that were, I guess, wrote. They weren't, it wasn't the feel of somebody sitting there and saying, let's push it. Let's see what we can do. It was the feel of, we know what we can do. Let's stay within that box sort of thing in terms. So basically I I guess I'm saying consistency wise, it's fine. The problem is that it is consistently not exceptional. I guess you could say for the effects in in specific, I'm not going to knock the photography of the show. I think it it does fine with the photography, but in terms of effects shots, there wasn't anything here that knocked my socks off. I was like, yeah, okay. I've seen a shot like this before. Sure. I agree with you uh, completely there about the effects. I think the thing that stands apart for me with this show, as opposed to the other shows that we've seen for the most part, even though I, I think I've really enjoyed, you know, of course, Loki, but I felt like this show felt very well done in its production value in general like um especially the scenes when they're at the train station in uh 1942 in india thought all of that looked really good uh i felt like the scenes when they're you know in new york and they're the, the chase sequence on the little bike in pakistan looked better than indiana jones and the dial of destiny mm. That's pathetically sad 
on the on the Indiana Jones front. Um, so that's where I was finding myself to be like, dang, you know, I don't think the effects are blowing my mind or anything, but everything's consistent. And the work that we're doing here and on production, everything looks great there. And so it makes for an enjoyable watch because I'm I'm not sitting there thinking the whole time, oh, that just doesn't look right there. And oh, that that looks totally fake. And like, I didn't feel like that anytime in this show. Nothing like looked completely awfully fake. And I got to give it to him. I, I think I, they did a great I, job on that. I think there are a couple of shots that look terribly fake, but not so many that I'd raise a stink about it sort of thing. And that's a fair point about about that sequence. That That is a fair point. And there is something to be said for consistency as opposed to, mm-hmm. you know, yeah, wild swings of accomplishment. I guess you could, if you wanted to state it politically. Yeah, no, I mean... Uh, to me, it was just something, you know, as we've been watching all these films and everything and these series again, um, what stood out to me is that I wasn't pulled out of the show, especially during major effect sequences, because things looked terrible. You know, even the big battle at the end, the the powers are in and everything are, are consistently done so I'm not like pulled out being like, oh, well, that looked really good, but that looks really terrible. Again, we've talked many times. I think consistency goes a long way to just being able to keep me in the scene. Uh, and so um, was it amazingly dynamic? No, but, you know, I'm I'm going to I'm going to give him uh, points for consistency. So um, that's fair enough. That's fair enough. So, I, you know. Probably a million other things that we could talk about, but I'm I'm really interested. I, I think we've had a lot of good things to say about a show that I remember coming into when I first saw it thinking, I don't know if I'm going to like this show just because the trailers had not done a very good job of selling it to me. And so, you know, for you, your first time through, what would you rate Miss Marvel? This is one of those things where it gets it gets a little bit tricky for me. Because I wasn't floored by Miss Marvel. I I like it well enough, but it's not something where it's going to be something I come back to consistently. But at the same time, qualify that by the fact that it's six episodes. So, of course, you know, I'm not going to come back to something that's longer than a movie. You know, there's a time crunch involved here. You know, like, I got to I gotta figure out what I'm going to do with my time sort of thing. But that's not to – so it's not to the series' detriment. And then with recent films that I've, I've you know, watched for the first time here, I really have to go with, um, you know, where am I going to land? I haven't been nuts about the MCU shows. Loki seems to have escaped unscathed. Um. And I, I got a hoot out of that one. So while I wasn't blown away by, and while I think there could have been a tighter focus uh, for this show, and its consistency is both a good and a, you know, not greatness thing uh, in terms of its visuals and all of that, um, I, I, 
honestly have to say that I'm going to wind up giving this, you know, I, I, I'm going to go a little conservative with my rating, allowing for the fact that it might go up as I continue to think through it, because it's my first time through the show. Sometimes you come back and you revisit something mentally and you're like, ah, oh, maybe it was a little better than I thought sort of thing. Um, so I'm going to wind up giving this a uh, a pretty darn solid uh, three and a half. And so that's that's pretty much where I'm going to land with it. I mean, I think that's great because, you know, this is my second time through the show and my rating is going to say the same at, I would say, a very strong three and a half. Uh, I think that this is a solid, solid show. And of the shows we've had, I mean, it's the only one of like Hawkeye, Loki, and Miss Marvel where it's like, no, I would actually go back and rewatch this because I enjoyed yeah. it enough to want to do that. Uh, and so, I, you know, it's it's not my highest rating, of course, but I think that this show, it surprised me. It has some incredibly wonderful themes of family and stuff that I thought were fantastic. I think the production value of the show is one of the higher production values of the MCU, even in phase, you know, uh, four in general. Um, and they gave me, you know, consistency in many, many areas. So, and I, I thought the casting of, of, of everybody was great. I thought that the cast itself was enjoyable to watch. Like this show I enjoyed rewatching and that's what you want, you know, especially with a show like this. So yeah, I got to give it a three and a half as well. Uh, where are you going to go with your rankings now, John, oh of gosh. the MCU? This is, this is all right. Everybody take a deep breath with me here as I go through remembering that because Letterboxd did not uh, remember for me um, what I felt about the What If series. I don't know why. Um, I'm going to go ahead. Deep breath. Let's go. Okay. Captain America, the Winter Soldier, obviously. Iron Man 3, Spider-Man No Way Home, Ant-Man, Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2, Iron Man, Avengers Endgame, Black Panther, Guardians of the Galaxy, Hawkeye, Doctor Strange, Loki, Captain America, Civil War, Captain America, the first Avenger. We're going to go with Ant-Man and the Wasp after that. Then the Incredible Hulk, Avengers Infinity War, Thor, Miss Marvel. Then Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness, Shang-Chi, Spider-Man Homecoming, Avengers, Howard the Duck, Moon Knight, WandaVision, Falcon and the Winter Soldier, Spider-Man Far From Home, Thor the Dark World, Iron Man 2, Thor Ragnarok, Avengers Age of Ultron, Black Widow, Captain Marvel, and Eternally at the bottom, Eternals. Man, is anything ever going to take number one and or the last spot, you think? Nothing will ever take number one. For something to take the last spot would probably involve Bob Iger walking into my house slapping my dog and kicking me in the crotch. <laughs> so high oh, bar for it. coming in last year. Okay. Uh, Captain America, the winter soldier, Iron Man, Iron Man three, Spider-Man, no way home. Avengers end game. Captain America, civil war, Captain America, the first Avenger, black Panther, guardians Two, Ant-Man, Hawkeye, Dr. Strange, Shang-Chi, the incredible Hulk, 
things have switched a little bit around here. Uh, Guardians of the Galaxy, Doctor Strange, The Multiverse of Madness, Spider-Man, Homecoming, Ant-Man and the Wasp, Loki, Avengers, Miss Marvel, Spider-Man Far From Home, Avengers Infinity War, Falcon Winter Soldier, Thor The Dark World, Iron Man 2, Thor, Howard the Duck, Moon Knight, Black Widow, Age of Ultron, Captain Marvel, WandaVision, Thor Ragnarok, The Internals, oh, and I forgot to mention, yes, uh, What If comes after Hawkeye, so it would be Hawkeye, What If, and Doctor Strange, so... Yes, uh, but yeah, I did. I have a little shake up there in the middle because I was just kind of like, you know, I think that I would probably watch Guardians over Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness. Just you know, I don't, I, I don't know. It really oh, any day of the week. Come on now. Yeah, it just comes down to rewatchability. You know, like what am I just going to pop in for the heck of it? It's yeah. Anyway, so but when we're not doing. Assembling Avengers, John, where else can people find you if they want to catch up with you and see what else you've got going on? Amble on over to the Nerd Party Network and hear me on two shows. One is called House Lights, which I uh, co-host with Tristan Riddell and Darren Moser. We look at, and this may shock you, everybody, hold on to your hats, movies. It's a podcast Wait, about what? movies. What? I know. Oh, my gosh. We're breaking new ground over there on House Lights, but we have a lot of fun. We look at directors through different combinations of, you know, decades of their career and blah, 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 all that stuff. It's a lot of fun. We 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 have a good time. And you can find me co-hosting a Star Wars podcast called Aggressive Negotiations that I co-host with a fellow Jedi Master by the name of Matthew Rushing. Well, John, you know, I just wanted to let everybody know that uh, House Lights – got mentioned the other day on the latest episode of the 602 club so nice. you know uh if you if you want to hear a quick shout out uh for for you guys and your conversation about brad bird and the incredibles 2 uh that's the place to go so yes house lights is so impactful as a podcast it gets shout outs on other podcasts. So, uh, but if you want to find me, you can find me all over the place on social media under the name Matt Rushing02. Of course, I'm doing Literary Treks, The Orb, Warp 5, The Artificial Tango, and Saddle Up here on the network. And then over on the Nerd Party Network, when I'm not doing aggressive negotiations, you can check out a completed show I did with Drea Kaufman as we talked about every single chapter of the Harry Potter series, one chapter at a time. But thank you so much for joining us. Aven uh, uh, Avengers? Avengers. Avengers. Avengers.